You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. If only life came with a set of instructions, what a great concept. I'm not sure we'd all follow them or if many of us would even read them, but it would be nice to know they were there, but they're not there, or perhaps they were not until now. Hello, my name's David Frizzell, and here at the Team Guru Podcast, I get lots of books come my way, but the one belonging to Lisa Stevenson, my guest in this episode, jumped out at me from the moment I saw it. Its title, Read Me First. Simple. Intriguing. So I did read it, and inside I found a fabulous story wonderfully written about a woman piloting herself through life and learning a bunch of heavy lessons along the way. Through the pages of the book, I could feel Lisa's personality, her tenacity, her intelligence, her energy, and that's exactly what I found when I chatted to her for this episode. Lisa has taken the lessons that she's extracted from life She's made sense of them and found a way to share them so we can make a little more sense of our own lives. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Lisa Stevenson. Lisa Stevenson, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. My pleasure. Lisa, I have just finished reading your book. And the first thing I want to say is that it is a cool title. I read a lot of books. I have a lot of books sent to me, but yours absolutely stands out. It looks good, but the title, Read Me First, it just makes you want to read it. How did you come up with that as a title? (laughs) Do you know, David, what's actually funny is that this was almost the hardest thing You know, when you're writing a book, you sort of, you don't really think about the title too much, but, you know, I knew what what content I wanted in the book. And I mean, there's so many great titles out there that are taken and you obviously want something that gives a quite clear directive about the content of the book. And we've had really, really good feedback on, you know, the concept that before you go and create any type of change in your life or career read this book first. So yeah, it was it was tricky, but we've had good feedback. Yeah, it, it is a good title. Now, why is it the right title? What is it about your book that suits the title, Read Me First? I, I, I guess a, a little blurb of what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. it's a, That's a good question, actually. So the book, Read Me First, is really just 20 years of me being a you know, a coach working with people around success and and high performance and CEOs and elite athletes, entrepreneurs. I've done lots of senior management roles myself in in leadership, both in Australia and overseas in London. And I just wanted to find a way to distill everything that I have learned from working with these amazing individuals and about myself into a book. And I had some really significant life changes that occurred about nine years ago. And I remember searching through, you know, the bookstores and looking for that book that would give me the thought provokers and the strategies and everything that I should really be thinking about 
to create my new version of happiness and success for myself. And I couldn't find that one thing. So I wanted to create and write that book that people could read, you know, read this first and then come out the other end with some really practical plans and ideas and strategies in place. I want it to be I wanted it to be a book that was not just something you would read. You know, it would would be something that had something quite practical in it. You interact with. Yeah, absolutely. So you're you're really open in your in your book about your own story and it's really important to how you came to create your own business and do the work that you're doing and eventually of course write this book. Can you tell us a little bit about your story and how it shaped your career and and the the choices that you were faced with, as you say, nine years ago? Yeah. So it sounds quite dramatic, you know, David. (laughs) I, I was, you know, I was that woman who I had this really sort of beautiful life and I talk about my life in chapters, you know, and there was a particular chapter in there where I'd had, you know, a very blessed childhood and and grew up in Queensland, you know, by the beach in Mooloolabar in Australia and parents were still married and and chapter 2, you know, for me was meeting the man I thought I would spend the rest of my life with at the age of 17 when I went off to uni. That's very young, isn't it? Was it the first <laughs> was it the first day you were living in your little apartment when you headed you off to what? uni That's, you met your future husband? It's not even husband? funny. It's not even funny how true that is. We literally, you know, had these little bedsit units near the university right beside each other and I met him the very first day. Well, and and we all know so much when we're 17 as well. Oh, look, on those on those first days of uni. Yeah. Yeah, I was wise and knew it all. And you know, was ready to take on the world. And and so I found that, you know, the man that I thought I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. And and actually it was pretty great. And, you know, we lived and worked overseas and developed our careers and had three really beautiful, healthy children. And one day he decided he didn't want to be a dad and husband anymore. And he left. And, you know, that was obviously significant because I'd spent my entire adult life with him. And I found myself in the position of having to work out how do I be a mum and a dad to my children? How do I create financial stability? My own identity, like who am I without him? And so there was a whole lot of work that I had to do on myself. And I think what's significant about this story is kind of not the drama and not divorce and custody because let's face it, you know, lots of people go through those things. I'm not alone in that. But I made some big decisions, David, that I wouldn't be a bitter ex-wife, that I, my children would grow up in a home that was full of love and also that I would do the work on myself that was required to be an emotionally healthy, independent woman. And I had to work out what any of that meant. You know, I could have just gone and got a job. But I'd always had this inner entrepreneurial voice in my head. And, you know, if we go to the end game, what that meant was here I am nine years later and and I have a global consulting business, a private coaching practice, have published a book. And did that just sound really arrogant? No, no. And you <laughs> write about that in your book. You've got to be able to talk about your successes and the things that you're good at. So, no, that didn't sound arrogant at all. And I loved hearing... You tell that story because 
that your book is full of so much advice and and wisdom and experience from your coaching. But for me, the most impressive part of the book came when you told your story about the end of your marriage and and essentially the loss of the father that your children had and the decision you made at that time not to play it safe and just go and get a job, which would be the decision that, I don't know, 99% 99% of people would make because we're in you you might be in survival mode because as you said you had to make a decision about how am I going to provide financial security for my three children instead of playing it safe and and being and having a boss you created your own job you created your own business which has of course led to as you say an international consulting firm which is by all accounts a really successful one for me that was the most impressive part of the book and the most impressive part of your story, without dwelling on it for too long, because I'm sure you want to move on, but because I found it so impressive, I would love to hear some of the insight that you had or some insight into the thinking that was going on around that time, how you made the decision to do that and not play it safe. Yeah. So thank you for saying all of that. That was, (laughs) I appreciate your beautiful commentary and it, it was generous of you. I know that to have an amazing life, we have to make amazing decisions and we have to get really uncomfortable. And you used the word earlier, you know, survival and I, I am being safe. And I think when everything that we know is gone and we are in uncertainty and we are feeling vulnerable, it is really natural to want to protect ourselves and go with what's safe. And it would have been easy to get a job. And I just thought about, you know, a few things. One was, how do I honor the future version of me? Because where I am right now is tired and broken and sleep deprived and small children and, you know, really in deep grief, actually. But this won't be me forever. So what would the future version of me say to me? What questions would she ask? What would she trust? What would she back? What is she capable of? And you know, so that was one thing. The other big significant thing that I decided to do was to be curious about my future. So it was really easy to feel totally overwhelmed, David, by (laughs) all that had to be done and everything that I had to learn and be. And that just didn't feel good. And when I decided that I would overlay that with being curious, I would be curious about how I would be a single mom. I would be curious about what is possible for me. I would be curious instead of being scared or fearful, then things really started to shift for me. So that they were kind of my earliest memories of saying, you know, how do I honor the future version of me and what can I be curious about? And that led to some really big insights about what I thought happiness would be and having to work out what success is because that's really personal. Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation. It's funny you mentioned curiosity. It was a very strong theme in your book. Back in episode 77, I spoke with Yvette Cordy, who talks all about curiosity. And she makes the point in her book that if she could give one gift to her child, one attribute to her child, it would be curiosity. And I find that really interesting. And I found it really interesting that it was such a strong reason for you to make those tough decisions that you made nine years ago. 
it doesn't come intuitively. It doesn't come naturally when someone might think about what was the driving force behind someone making such a brave and bold decision at that time of their life. Curiosity isn't one of the adjectives that would jump to mind, but hearing you explain it and, and reading your story, it, it sort of, it, it holds true. It was that curiosity about the world and what you can do. And as you say, what your future self would want you to do right now and the conversation you might have with your future self. Look, it's a, it's a fantastic story, Lisa. And does it give you credibility with your clients as a coach and as a speaker that you have such a powerful story? Because three kids, I happen to have three kids. I think I'm a bit behind you. My oldest is five. <laughs> my youngest is oh. nine months. And I've got a two and a half year old in the middle. It's a beautiful time oh, in our wow. family. But I, it is, it's lovely. But I always joke. I mean, I when my wife goes upstairs to have a shower, I get a bit stressed when I'm left with all three kids <laughs> yeah. at once. And and we, we often talk about single parents and we take our proverbial hat off or our symbolic hat off to single parents in our house because both of us just acknowledge how important our partnership is with everything that comes with, with having three kids. And there you were alone, having to do everything for them and making such a brave decision. Does it give you credibility as a coach to have a story like that? It absolutely does. And, you know, early on, I didn't share uh, some of the harder parts of my story because there's, you know, as with all kind of trauma, there's lots of layers that happen in there. And there was a timing issue for me, you know, in, in writing the book now because my children needed to be old enough for the story to be out there. And so, you know, that's a discussion that I had to have with them to make sure that they were ready and they were safe and because it's their story too. And so, you know, when I listen to you talk about single parenting, yes, it's exhausting and it's also highly rewarding. Yeah. I mean, I I say I've been tired for, you know, well, I tell my 17-year-old I've been tired for 17 years. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just it's just a coincidence that it's exactly the same amount of time that you've been alive. Yeah, exactly. But can I just go back? I'm really you were just talking about this point around, you know, curiosity and being a parent and and there's there's something that I think is just so important that brings all of this together, this whole discussion that we're having, which is the concept of resilience. And so you talked earlier about, you know, is the greatest gift that you could give your children, you know, might be curiosity. And it's certainly something that I talk to my children about. I think the greatest life skill I can give my children is the gift of resilience. Because when we give the gift of resilience. So so you, you explain it and then tell us how. Yeah. So. When I look at adults now, the the adults that I'm working with, whether they're in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, the ability to be resilient is seriously connected with how successful we are, how happy we are, our ability to be emotionally intelligent, and our muscle memory in what comfort is. And so one of the things that was really significant for me was that early on I was thinking about how do I be happy now? How do I be happy without him? How do I be happy on my own as a single mum? How do I, you know, how do I work out how to be happy? Yeah. And that Rather than is, dwelling on everything that had gone wrong. Yeah, because it would be really easy to just be a, yeah. be a victim, really. Yeah. And what I worked out, and there will be people listening to this, and I'm I'm interested in your view because people sometimes disagree, 
is that I decided that that was just a conversation going with myself to nowhere really, that happiness was something to put to the side and focus on being resilient. So how can I embrace this discomfort and all of this learning that I have to do and build my resilience to be a stronger, more confident version of me? And the place that I got to was that when I focus on being resilient in the situation that I'm in and really thinking about my capacity and my potential, the happiness is an outcome. The happiness comes anyway. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think about that? Oh, look, I I completely agree. And as you were talking through that and you started by talking about that resilience is the is the common factor that threads successful people you know, and I'm guessing lack of resilience is the common factor that threads people who struggle in life. And I completely buy into that. And that that idea of what's more important, curiosity or resilience, and I have another one to throw into the mix, which is enthusiasm. You could argue that any of those, and there's probably others, if you were to have just one of those, you would do pretty well in life. But there's a fair argument for resilience. You make the point very well in your book that not everything goes well, no matter who you are and what your life is and the way that you conduct yourself, not everything goes well. But the thing that sets happy people apart from those who are struggling is their resilience, their ability to ask themselves, what comes next? How can I be happy? What will my future self want me to do right now? What decisions will my future self want me to take right now? And so absolutely buy into all of that. But it leads me to one of the questions I wanted to ask you at some point. And by the way, listeners, we're going to get to a little bit of Lisa's coaching process in in a few minutes. We're going to start breaking down some of the very important parts that she works through with her clients and that she's been through herself. But I just want to talk about people in general because your book helps us to identify our goals, our dreams, and our ambitions. But I'm wondering how many people even think they should have those things? How many people think that it's even something they should be pursuing to have goals and dreams and ambitions? It seems to me that there's a lot of people who aren't even on the starting line when it comes to that conversation. And I'm just making anecdotal observations. I I guess I'm I'm reflecting the people who I've seen in workplaces, the people I've worked with, the people I know, whether it's socially or, or just accidentally. It's almost as though those who who have driving ambitions and goals and dreams and positivity and resilience really stand out amongst the crowd because so many people I know don't have those things. So you would get a good view of it in your work as a coach, people who have chosen to read your book and people who have chosen to listen to this podcast are probably in those few who do want those things and do know that's something that we should be pursuing. But what's your general gut feeling about percentage of people who even get that that's something that we should be aiming towards? Yeah, this is so interesting to me. And I don't know a percentage, but I could make one up. Um Yeah, please. (laughs) We won't know I, the difference. I, I think it's high. You know, I think it's oh, okay, high. Great. What I find is that we can have people that we look at who look really successful. They've got the nice house. They've got the partner. They've got the good job, the career, the white picket fence. They go on the overseas holiday each year. And even those people sometimes don't feel successful because they've had the life that I call the go along to get along life. So, you know, they've worked hard. And they've been on a particular career path and they've got the tap on the shoulder for the next role. 
and then they've met someone they've wanted to marry and they've created something that's pretty good, but that is not the same as proactively creating and designing your own life. And it's also not the same as people who live in the waiting place. So what I mean by the waiting place is people who uh, it's okay where they are, but yeah, you know, they've you settled. That, yeah, they've they've settled or yeah. they haven't got to that start line yet because they've just been going with the opportunities that kind of came up and they get a bit stuck, or maybe they've had some things come up in life that was not their plan, and then they end up in the waiting place. So they're waiting for more money so they can leave this yeah. job and set up their yeah. business, or they're waiting until they lose weight, or they're waiting until yeah. their kids get older. Yeah. And, you know, that's a pretty that's a pretty scary place because all of a sudden you wake up and five years has passed and you're still yeah. there. Yeah, five years, if if you're lucky. I mean, we all know people who have waited a lot longer than that. And we hear people like that say, when such and such happens, I will, as if the the I will part is a little bit out of their control. Yeah, I assume you're right. And, and you started off that by saying, look, you think a lot of people, the, the percentage of people who know that they should have goals and dreams and ambitions is very high, but there are challenges in life that pop up. And, and, and I accept that. I bet my comments and my observations are that that there's a lot of people who have settled in life, but I also at the same time acknowledge that I might be talking about people I only know in one part of their world and I, I see one side of them and they might be doing a very good job of hiding their ambitions or being modest about their ambitions. But I do worry that that there are a lot of people and, and I, like you, run workshops and facilitate sessions. And and sometimes I'm frustrated by the lack of ambition, the, the ambition for themselves. I'm not talking about roles or more money. I'm talking about personal ambition to get the most out of their life, to create and design, as you say, their best life. I really get frustrated by that. And maybe I'm overplaying the percentage who sit in that place because I notice them more. But as someone, and I, I consider myself to be active in in wanting to design my own life. And I do have goals and ambitions and dreams. I find it frustrating when people around me don't. And and you must see a lot of that. And, and it's nice to hear you say that in your opinion, most people actually do have those things. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, there's both sides of the coin. I have the privilege of working with, for example, elite athletes who are extremely focused but even those people tend to have a whole team of people around them who are doing a lot of the thinking for them about what success will look like. CEOs, entrepreneurs, you know, senior leaders, people who are startups in business, you know, those people will who are setting themselves up well for success, you'll find they've got a plan. You know, yeah. they have a yeah. they have a strategic plan. They're very clear about the people they want to surround themselves with. They know what success will not only look like, but what it will feel like when they get there. And they're also evolving and adapting that plan as they progress. So I call that, you know, the concept of making yourself your most important project. Yeah. They invest in themselves. And yeah, you know, success really doesn't happen overnight. And it it rarely happens accidentally, David, you know, <laughs> rarely. It requires rarely, work yes. and discipline, you know, and focus. So I find when I challenge people who are feeling a bit stuck or are in the waiting place, that something that comes up a lot is, I'm so busy. 
Yeah. You know, I, I'm, yeah. I'm so busy. When would I have time to make a plan? And yes, I've got some things that I'd love to do, try or learn. But, you know, by the time I get home from work and I give some time to my partner and my children, when do I have time to sit down and, and work that out? And of course, yeah. the coaching challenge to that is what's the consequence of you not doing that? Yeah, that's right. That's the bit I think that can really provoke people into yeah, it's a great question. thinking a bit more about if I don't do something, if I don't invest the time, if I don't make myself matter, if I don't get the coaching or hold myself accountable to my version of success going forward, the consequences are that the 80-year-old version of me who's sitting with my glass of Pinot on the veranda yeah. You know, kind veranda of back and yeah, the veranda test, which you know I write about in the book. Whether it's a half-day energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organization. You must come across a lot of people who have convinced themselves that making themselves their most important project is not an option right now in my life because I have three kids and I might be a single parent or I, I have a very busy job and it's I'm snowed under and our family is relying on that job for the income. There is no latitude for me to think creatively about the role that I'm in. It would be easy for people in today's busy world, and we say that a lot, to convince themselves that right right now is not the time to make myself my most important project. What do you say to that? Yeah, I love it when people say that. <laughs> <laughs> I dare people to say that to a coach. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, there are occasions in life where you've got other things that really do require your full attention and are all-consuming. If you're in a significant life change or you're about to get married, you know, if you've just experienced some significant trauma you know, there are times when you need to bunker down and look after yourself, but they're pretty rare. Most of yeah. the time I would, I suggest to people that when you are the best version of you, everyone around you is better as well. Yeah. You know, if I had made a choice as that single mum who was going, where do I live and how do I find enough money to even set up a business and, and what's even required for that? You know, it's it's a really, really different mindset to say, if I am thriving and if I am providing for my children and being a great role model for them, if I am learning, if my soul feels fed, if I am finding ways to create something that is magical, beautiful, that actually will create opportunities for my children as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. if I had made the safe choice to not make myself matter, then where we are right now would be quite different. You know, we we wouldn't have gone and lived in Italy for three months. Yeah, which was, that's a great story. That was the cool. I do think I get extra points with your, my children. Your Italian back. affair. Yeah, it is. It is Italian a affair. it is a cool story for for listeners who haven't read the book. Lisa took her kids out of school. Uh, put her her business on hold or had it running so nicely she could leave it for three months and went and lived in Italy. What a beautiful story. What a beautiful uh, time of your life. What an amazing experience for your three school-aged kids. Yes. And, you know, I don't share that story because, well, I do want I do want you to think You're I'm brave, cool, of course, yeah, but of I don't share it because it's something that is 
you know, to make myself look good or to, it's kind of just Being to share a little bit of inspiration and also yeah. do a reality check that when I say to people, I took my children out of school for three months and the response that I'll often get is, oh, I wish I could do that. I would never be able to yeah. get that much time off work yeah. or, gee, how did you go in a non-English speaking, you know, country with three children on your own? And it's really interesting to me that when you have a mindset that says almost anything is possible yeah, and that was a very specific goal that I had for myself was to spend a significant amount of time. It was years of hard work to create the business and set the business up in a way that would be sustaining whilst, you know, I took off for three months. But it's just about doing the work and making a plan. You know, the children and I sat down together and we worked out what we would need and why we were going and where we would go. And, you know, it's actually not as big as people think. It's really cheap to be in Italy. Pizza yeah. is cheap. Pizza is cheap. <laughs> you know, that, that, and that, got, that pricked my ears up when I read that. It's incredible experience Pizza. to wake up every day and say, gee, shall we catch the train to Venice today? Shall we head down to Rome for a couple of days? You know, and and I think what's beautiful about that for me is that when life throws us those curveballs, and David, we all get them, very few of us get through life without our heart getting broken or experiencing some grief or someone that we love getting really sick, that there is awesome stuff that is around the corner if we're prepared to do the work. So Lisa, your story is amazing. And as I said earlier, it gives you all this credibility when it comes to coaching. You've learned so many fantastic lessons through it all. And I'm really interested just to spend a couple of minutes because we haven't got long left talking about your process, the coaching process. And it, it seemed from your book, the message I took from your book is that those I am statements really form the core and, and at least the very beginning of the process that you go through when you work with individuals and groups. Can you explain to us what I am statements are and why they're so important as you work with clients? Mm. So the reason I developed the concept of the I am statement is because when we know the story of where we've been, the story of where we are now, and aspirationally what we want our story to be going forward, we are so much more self-aware. An I am statement is, is something that I have clients develop that helps them to work out their positioning statement and their values and what they stand for. And it also gives them an opportunity to do some really deep reflection on things like who are the people that have really influenced my story and who I am? What are the experiences that I've had that have really shaped, you know, how I make decisions and how I do relationships and whether I quickly or slowly build trust? So developing your own story and understanding who you are is a really critical way and an experience for people to work out what it is that they want to share about themselves, the type of leader that they want to be, the type of parent that they want to be. It's really personal work too. What are some of the challenges that people have with creating those I am stories? If they're so vital in beginning the process of of designing this fabulous life for ourselves and clarifying our goals and ambitions, 
What are some of the challenges that your clients typically have when you go through that process? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, the the big challenges are that once people start doing the work, it's a bit scary because once I say yes to doing the work, it means that I might come up with ideas or things I need to let go of, yeah, that require me to be brave or courageous or to have some conversations that I wasn't really thinking about having and letting stuff go. And, you know, accountable is a good word and it's a bit scary for people. Mm. Yeah. 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 So given everything that we've talked about, given the story that you tell and and the work that you do with, with your clients as a coach, if people are listening to this and they think that that's all great, I do want to write the script of my own life. I I have perhaps fallen into traps of of settling and and I need to start crafting ambitions. What are the top three tips that you give for people as they undergo this journey? They, they start to assess where they are and, and where they want to go and craft that really meaningful goal and ambition for themselves. What are your top three tips for those people who are really motivated by this? Yeah, okay. So the first one is don't depend on motivation. So you just yeah. kind of touched on that, that yeah. people can get highly motivated and that's when they might seek out to work with a coach and motivation passes and you and I have seen a lot of that. And so what I get people to do is get really clear about what you're committed to. What are the yeah. non-negotiables that you need to have in place to set yourself up for success? So that's number one. Yeah, that's great. That difference between motivation and commitment, that was such a a point well made in your book. That's great. I'm I'm so glad you pulled that out as number one. That's great. Yeah, it's just a feeling, that motivation thing. So don't depend on that. And it's such short term. It really is. It really is. On Monday, I'm highly motivated to be alcohol-free and sugar-free for the week. (laughs) And by Wednesday, you know, I just want a glass of wine and a chocolate, you know. So motivation passes. A second one that's really important if you're in the beginning, you know, if you're on the start line and you're ready to do the work on yourself, is to think about what you need to unlearn. Oh, you know, right. we, we as adults are so habitual and we have so much stuff that we carry around and beliefs that we're really attached to. And sometimes when I'm doing the work with people, they're living according to values or beliefs that were their parents you know, that they got when they were children, or they might have beliefs that no longer serve them. So what do you need to unlearn that's not going to work for you going forward? And then also what do you put in place of that? So what are the new beliefs and strategies that you need to have in place? So that's number two. And number three, I think, is the lesson and understanding that no one is coming to sort this out for you. Ah, yeah, this is is yours to fix. (laughs) It really is. And I know that's not a sexy answer. You know, it's not a fun answer answer. either. And we've never had more information and inspiration than we have right now. We can Google search anything. There's so many quick fixes out there. And the reality is if you want something in your life to be different, you have to do the work. Yeah. I'm no sorry. No one is coming. That <laughs> no is fantastic. Is coming. <laughs> so don't rely on motivation. It's about what you're actually committed to. Think about the things that you have to unlearn, all of those those things that are just hardwired into you that you haven't questioned if 
ever, not for a long time. And and what do you have to put in their place? And number three is the realization that no one is coming. No one is coming to do this for you. It is yours to fix. It is your dream to imagine. And it is you who needs to take the steps. Lisa Stevenson, they are fantastic pieces of advice. I thoroughly enjoyed reading your book and I have it's been a delight talking to you and, and hearing you tell me more about your story. Thank you so much for coming on the Team Guru podcast. Oh, I love that you asked me. Thank you so much. That was fun, David. And that was Lisa Stevenson. Hers is a terrific story. She's so open and intelligent. I love the way she has made sense of the events in her life and allowed us in so we can see the events of ours. What about the move she made nine years ago? Suddenly, a single mother faced with the responsibility of providing all elements of care for her family. She didn't make the obvious safe move. She was brave. She backed herself and her ability. She dreamed big. Along with the ability to listen and empathize, Lisa walks and talks the language of curiosity and courage. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Lisa on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru slash podcast. You can connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, or LinkedIn, and join me on the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.